Let's get real. Who wants to have another surface level conversation? Not us. I'm Samantha. And I'm Christian. Two friends having raw but truth-filled conversations about the messiness of life. So buckle up and don't be shy. Because yep, we're We're going going there. Hello, we are together today with some additional people in with us to do a really fun episode. Yes, guys, we are so excited. Today we have our friends, Patrick and Keith with us, and we are going to do a fun little Ask Your Pastor. This might not be as fun for us as it is for you. I think you're looking forward to this more than we are. Yeah, for we're sure. excited <laughs> for sure. This. Guys, Keith and Patrick have no clue what to expect. We have been collecting questions from you all about just what you want to ask a pastor, what questions are like burning in your hearts and minds that you once answered. And here we are. And I will say, if you asked a question and it didn't get answered, we had a lot come in, so we had to kind of pick and choose. Maybe one day we can do a part two, but I promise we're not kind of trying to avoid your question. We just couldn't fit them all in. Wanted yes. to get that. Wait, um, guys, have you guys ever done something like this before? No. Not without knowing the questions. You guys have been very secretive. Yes, guys, they have no clue what the questions are. So I was going to say, how nervous are you on a scale from one to 10? Well, if this was live, it'd be a 10, but... <laughs> ten but yeah, that's but, true. Maybe but, we'll do no editing yeah, at all. Yeah, really? no editing. No. Yeah, okay, no. maybe. How nervous are you, Patrick? Uh, Your legs are shaking. <laughs> oh, no, I'm a wiggler. Okay. I've got... Have you ever heard of restless leg syndrome? Yeah, yeah. do you have that? Oh, I'm self-diagnosed. That. Yeah, I was going to say, I you have, don't really have that. Oh, I, I'm constantly moving my legs. I'm bouncing. I just... I can't help it. I need one of those little fidget spinner things that helps you with your hands. I thought restless leg is when you lay down to sleep at night. Your legs like twitch and stuff i think i've diagnosed patrick <laughs> with hypochondria no oh i'm being God. serious i'm pretty sure restless leg is, has something to do with sleeping not like your daily activity well you know as a he self-diagnosed really moving, individual though. i think i'm more of an expert Keith on this is like but... swaying back and forth though too they're nervous i'm, like, I'm a little yeah <laughs> i don't know i think this is just how they this do. is how we got them nervous yeah. okay so we are just going to go down this list of questions that we collected from you all again if we missed yours we're really sorry but we hope to do this again and then we'll finish our conversation with a lightning round where Keith and Patrick will go back and forth. They get no time to think or process their answer. They just have to shout out their answer. Yep. Okay. So this first question you guys are going to think is silly, but someone asked this because they said that their four-year-old had been asking it a lot. And it's so weird because I went through a phase a few years ago where I was so curious about this and I kept asking people and trying to research it. Okay. So the question is where and how do dinosaurs fit in with the (laughs) biblical timeline? Patrick, you have a four-year-old, don't you? I do. You know, if this was a series of questions asked by four-year-olds, I would have been terrified because four-year-olds ask the hardest questions. My daughter, I mean, she's not four anymore, but the questions, Emily's often like, yeah, you're going to have to go ask your dad that one. Which is, Wait, that's um, so good. I'm like, I'm like, come on, stop pawning him off on me. She's like, no, you like answering questions. You're good to go. Have <laughs> people asked this amazing. before, though? Because I've wondered it. <clears throat> oh, sure. Lots of people ask it because you see all this in your textbooks as you go through school and people don't find it in the Bible. And they're like, well, what's up? Are dinosaurs real, but the Bible overlooked them? Or is maybe the Bible not real because it doesn't take account what the fossil record shows? I like the answer where people say that God, when he created, just added the fossils in as kind of a little gotcha, you oh know? Oh, my gosh. Just well, no, that's not what it is. Yeah. It's, it's like <laughs> the idea that God could have created the world showing age. Right? Oh. Like, yeah. like that's an actual an- answer? Oh, I've heard that a lot. It's an actual answer. Okay. So that's the answer we'd give. you guys actually answer it then? I think what I would say is, first of all, the beginning of the Bible, God creating the world in seven days. If you have a grasp of how ancient people thought, seven-day creation stories, things that happen in periods of seven days, especially in the Bible, um, is often a way of talking about God creating temples. So, for example, Solomon, before he opens up the temple, you know, grand opening, big scissors, all of that, there's a big seven-day celebration that comes before it, and then God comes into the temple. The exact same way, we have this seven-day creation story, and then what happens? God comes into his temple, which is all the earth, and he rests, and he's present, and he's there. So, I don't take those seven days literally. I don't think there's any reason in the text itself to say that God literally made the world in seven days. And so I think we can feel really comfortable with the idea that at some point in the actual scientific story of creation, of course there were dinosaurs, but that's not what the Bible's trying to do. It's not a science textbook. It's a holy textbook that's trying to tell us something about what God wanted to be true about earth, which is that it would be a place for his presence, a temple for him to live in and dwell in. Hmm, okay, so that's let good. Me, let me make that simpler for the, yeah, I'm like, <laughs> for okay. the public school kids out there like, <laughs> like me. Not everything you find in science textbooks are going to show up in the Bible because the Bible isn't 
a science textbook. It's not trying to answer science questions. It's not trying to answer the questions of 21st century Americans. It was written thousands of years ago. And in its context, what it was saying is that God, the God of the Bible, is the true God, and he's the one who created everything. And this world and the people in the world, they belong to God. This is his temple, and he dwells there. So it's trying to answer a different kind of question than most people today are asking of it. Okay, that's good enough. I was just going to say, could you like give me, so you're saying that the dinosaurs could have been on the earth before there were people created on the earth is what you're getting to, Patrick. I would go so far to say that I'm quite confident there are dinosaurs okay. on the earth before there are people. Let's give one more example, like what Keith is saying. I took a trip to Israel and I land, I'm jet lagged, I'm tired, I'm a coffee drinker. And so I asked our tour guide, hey, where can I go get some coffee? And he tells me to go to this place called Aroma, which is actually just the English word aroma spelled in Hebrew. I thought that was funny. I get there and and I ask the English speaking person at the front, I'd like a coffee. And I wait for my coffee and it comes out and I open up the cap and I realize when I taste it, this is not coffee. This is a cappuccino. So I think, okay, language barrier. I miscommunicated. So I go back up and I say, hey, I'm really sorry. I, I was hoping for a coffee. This is a cappuccino. And they go, oh yeah, yeah, we'll get you a coffee. I wait. I take another sip of this fresh coffee. It's another cappuccino. I'm like, what is going on? So I asked her to her guy. I said, hey, I keep asking for coffees and getting cappuccinos. What's wrong? And he laughed at me and he said, look, we don't have coffee in Israel. You're asking the wrong question. You're asking for the wrong thing. So you're getting the wrong thing. If you want a coffee, you need to ask for an Americano <laughs> because that's how you're going to get what you think of as a coffee. And so if you go to a coffee shop and you ask for something that the person doesn't understand, you're going to get something that you don't want. If you go to Genesis 1 and you ask for something that the text isn't trying to explain, you're going to end up with a cappuccino. It's going to be weird. It's not what you expected. Gosh, guys. This is way more theological. I, I was just like asking for a time frame. Just but... where were dinosaurs in there? You know, probably like day two, well, three. <laughs> Somewhere in but there. But see, that's, that's missing the point. Because I mean, yeah. even if you no, look at the it, first few it. texts, this would just be my last thought. God says, let there be light before there are any stars. How in the world does that work? You know what I mean? Just from what we know. And again, so it's just telling us this is not a text about the scientific process of creation. It's about everything Keith said that I said about God being the one true God who wants to live in his creation. That's the point. And if you ask those kinds of questions, you get these deep, rich answers that are actually great for your life to realize God made this world to be in it and to be with us. And isn't that far more interesting and far more compelling than, you know, where are the dinosaurs? Mm -hmm. No, I do love that, though, because I do think we often look to the Bible and people ask these really like, yeah, they want a concrete answer of the like question that they're like, no, it's black and white. We want that. And the Bible is not written as a history book. And so there's going to be a lot of those pieces that like you don't have this like concrete thing out of it. And I think that is good to remember. One last conclusion from that is that science and the Bible are not at odds because a lot of people, a lot of Christians feel threatened by new scientific discoveries and they don't know what to do that. And it hurts their faith. It damages their faith because they lose confidence in the Bible. But we don't need to be afraid of science. We don't need to be afraid of the fossil record. We can embrace that as long as we realize that the Bible isn't a scientific textbook. So we can look at the fossil record and say, looks like there were dinosaurs by all accounts. And we can embrace that and not shy away from it and not feel like that undermines the Bible because the Bible doesn't record it. So Keith, did the dinosaurs have feathers? What? <laughs> okay, what? but last thing though, just for Oh my gosh, audience, we're spending so a lot of time on this Each one. question will not be this long, but last so thing, much. Patrick, how would you, if Iris comes up to you and asks, where are dinosaurs in this? Like, how would you explain that to a four-year-old? Oh, man. Just say it in a two-sentence little, what would you say to her? <laughs> I would say, Iris, sweetie, there were dinosaurs. We have these crazy fossils that we can go look at in museums and, and see them. And God made those. He imagined dinosaurs well before he began the process of creation. And isn't God an amazing God to make such amazing things? And in Genesis, it's telling us exactly how amazing and powerful he is that he made this whole world. Yeah, and that's good. I'd be like, that dad is a pastor. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but that's so that's good. That's good. Okay, we're, I just wanted to start out with that one because I thought it would be a little bit light, light. a little simple <laughs> answer. So we just got a 
sermon, which was great, which was really great. <laughs> also, Whoa. if everyone now thinks <laughs> we're sermon. dumb. Because now I'm like, oh, shoot, is this making us look really dumb, Samantha? <laughs> no, uh, no. No, maybe. No, maybe. no, 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 no. And let's just go out there and say I didn't know there were different standpoints on the way that creation happened until like a year or so ago. So if you're kind of hearing that for the first time, let's follow up. Like DM us about that. We could have more conversations about that. Yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with not knowing that. Like that's nothing to be embarrassed about. You, you know, everybody's going to come to their faith from different places and positions and you can't know things you don't know. And so it's great to have these conversations. Okay, so let's okay, get into yeah. some of Moving the... Moving on to the other questions. Wow, guys. Some of the maybe deeper ones. Lighter. Okay. <laughs> so next question is, we're going to also read these, how they were submitted to us because, you know, for People's context. personality, yeah. So is it wrong for Christians to be rich? Not to make a lot of money, but keep an amount in excess of what they need to live comfortably. (laughs) I think that's a really interesting question. And I would start with just the premise of what does it mean to be rich? So if you live in the United States and you have an iPhone that you're listening to this podcast on, or even an Android, you know, whatever it is. No, not an Android. (laughs) (laughs) They're slumming it. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah, I I call them green text peasants. So there's my... my... I'm just joking. (laughs) No, in all seriousness... If you have a phone and you're listening to a podcast and you live in a house with air conditioning and with a refrigerator and maybe you have a car that you can drive around in, statistically speaking, you are well within the top 10% wealthiest people in the country. So when we start talking about what it means to be rich, we have to start by asking rich compared to whom? Even rich compared to when? If you have stuff in your house, you probably have more stuff in your house than the king of England had in the 1600s. Most people don't think they're rich because we all know people in our friend group or a family group that has more than us. And so no one thinks, oh, I'm really rich. The person that we know who has more than us, that's the rich people. But I think this is a good question because the question is trying to wrestle with how do we be wise stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us? And that's a question that your conscience has to guide. I mean, the Bible is going to give you some principles, but it's not going to answer it and tell you what vacations are okay or how much to spend on a car or a home. But all of us are accountable for, to God for how we spend the resources that he's entrusted to us. You know, I, I have friends who, who are wealthy, and I've had them often say to me that few people can touch wealth without it corrupting them in some sense. And when they said that, I was like, yeah, that's true for you. It's not true for me. But then I had to reflect on it. And I realized, no, that is true for me. It is easy for me to become fixated on the stuff that I have, the stuff that I want, spend time online shopping, spend time looking for the next car, the next house. And when I'm doing that, I have to ask, have I made the material world around me into an idol, into something that I want more than Jesus, that I fixate on more than Jesus? And that's a threat. Again, no matter where you're at, at least in America, on the socioeconomic ladder, it's a threat for all of us. And so to Keith's point, I think maybe even a better question is is just asking yourself, okay, with what I have, how is God calling me to steward it? And specifically, how is God calling me to be generous with it? Generosity is the is the quintessential mode of what it means to have any amount of money and wealth inside of the Bible. We should be generous. We should want to give. We should want to help others. One key thing that will make a big difference is do you see yourself as an owner of all that you have or as a steward of what God has entrusted to you? Because if you think this is my stuff, it's really hard to give it away. It's not that you won't give anything away, but it'll be difficult and you'll give maybe a little bit less than if you think of yourself as a steward. A steward says, this isn't mine. Someone has given it to me and I need to manage it. So a few years ago, there was an investor named Bernie Madoff who made a ton of money because he had a reputation for being a very wise investor. And he accumulated all this wealth that people gave to him and trusted to him to manage their money. Philanthropies, teachers' unions, Holocaust survivors. Yeah, individuals entrusted their money to him to manage it on their behalf. Now, it turned out it was all a Ponzi scheme. He was taking their money and using it on himself instead of investing it. And when that came to light, a lot of people's lives were ruined. He went to prison for a long time and died a few years ago. I'd say that a lot of us are little Bernie Madoffs. In other words, we take God's resources and then spend them on ourselves as if the reason God blessed us was to make our life more comfortable. 
But the reality is that God has entrusted us with the resources that he has so that we can be generous and be about God's kingdom and God's work. So yes, we should take care of ourselves and our families, but it's always a battle to know where that line is for us. So I think whoever's asking this question is asking the right kind of question that we should all probably ask more often. Mm-hmm. It's hard because it is easy to kind of, you know, the goal is to live that way. You were saying of, you know, we should view it all as it's ours to steward, but it's so hard in our culture when I'm just being honest, like you, I think it's just like this daily battle of fighting. Well, like I earned this. I worked hard. I deserve this. Like, and, or I hear this a lot. I actually got this question in, but we didn't add it in, but kind of goes along with the same thing. Like, is it okay to want to make a lot of money if my goal is to make a lot of money to be like extremely extravagantly generous? And it's like, well, yeah, I guess that would, that's kind of what you're saying. But I just think like you started with Patrick, it's really hard to actually live that way daily. Very few people could probably steward that right. well. I think it was John Wesley. Help me remember this. John Wesley. John Edwards. No, John Wesley, who said, make as much as you can. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to remember the whole thing, but make as much as you can so that you can give as much as possible away. And I think it's a great attitude to have, but very, very dangerous because it changes you. It's hard to have money and not think, well, I could have that. I could do that. Uh-huh. So God it's bless ca- them it, if they can do it. It's counterintuitive. I mean, if, just in my own experience, I have found it harder. The more I've had, the harder I've found it to be generous. More money, more mm-hmm. problems. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> uh, is it not it so, is so true? true. It is I mean, so like, true. That sums it up. Let's go on to the next question because we, re- we really already kind of answered it. But the question was, is it okay to drive nice cars, own designer things, et cetera, if you're a Christian? And again, you guys just kind of answered it. But if you have anything else to say... So, yes, I mean, yes, it is okay to have nice stuff. And like Patrick said, even the things that we consider basic is nice compared to a lot of other people in America, but almost everybody around the world. So don't go the other way, like a monk who's ascetic, who feels like they have to deny material creation and not have anything nice or not do anything fun. It's walking that line of saying, who has my heart, you know? And I don't know. I wish there was an easy answer. Everybody wants there to be an easy answer. I want it to be an easy answer to say this is okay and this isn't. But God doesn't give us that kind of an answer. So it takes some discernment. But you might want to ask other people, like ask other people, hey, do you think I should buy this car? Wouldn't that be weird and radical to go to your small group and say, hey, we're thinking about moving and here's why, but here's the house. What do you guys think? What's your opinion in all? And we don't do that, right? We have this wall up. Some churches do. We just all three read a book about a church that does that. They bring their finances and they ask for advice and input on big financial decisions. Well, I think if it's voluntary, that's one thing. Right. If it's done because They're the church is making him. you to do well, it, that's a little creepy. They just it. They said they don't force it, but She was you talking know. about it in the context of their community like them Mm -hmm. and their community have Mm -hmm. chosen to do this to all hold each other accountable yeah and again i want to keep the comparison thing in view right for someone lululemon is the nicest thing that you could purchase but for the person who purchases lululemon all the time they're like but this isn't gucci this isn't versace like there's always there's always a level up that you can go and justify what you're doing i would encourage people in some place in your life, not in every place, but in some place in your life to embrace a practice of simplicity. In one area of your life, resist the need and the urge to constantly be buying more, 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 more. For Patrick, me, tell us what yeah, area of your life you? is that you, Patrick? Well, yeah, I, so for me, <laughs> he's making fun of me because he knows the answer. For me, that that's clothing. I actually really like clothing. I've always been someone who's kind of interested in style and, and that kind of stuff. And a few years ago, I decided that I was going to buy a capsule wardrobe, a wardrobe where all the pieces kind of fit together and then not buy any clothes for a year. You were trendy for capsule wardrobes before they were trendy. <laughs> he was also trendy well, for that, golf Patrick. before yeah. it was trendy. <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that has, to Keith's point, kind of converted over to all that I wear is black. Now, here's what's interesting. It used to be, for example, when I went on vacation, I'd want to buy a shirt or a piece of clothing from the place that I vacationed at or from this cool store that was out there. It used to be when I was online, you know, I'd like to look through the latest from J. Crew or Banana Republic or whatever it was. And And that urge has completely, entirely left me. It wasn't immediate, but doing this for years now, knowing that all I can buy is black stuff, which is really boring. I just, I don't have to live under this constant materialism of what do I look like? What do I want? And instead, I think that does allow me some heart space to fixate on Jesus instead and say, that's what I want the most. That's what I want to give my energy and my heart. It's like fasting, I guess. It is. It's a lot like similar. And I'm not saying this is the case with clothing, but like if you're on Zillow all the time looking at houses, how much does their house cost? How much is my house worth right now? What house can I move into? Maybe that's like, I've got to delete 
Zillow off my phone. And unless I'm legitimately searching for a house, I do not need to look at this, right? I Were need to be Were you tapping into my conversation yesterday? I was like, I can't have Zillow on my phone. I truly cannot keep it on my phone because that's like fun for a lot of people to just be constantly flipping through houses. Mm-hmm. That's good. That is good. Well, the next question goes to... So what do you think of evangelical pastors who infamously lead lavish lives? Well, the first thing I would say is that I'm going to be really careful to judge them because I know other people are judging me. There's a guy who lives down the road from me a ways, and he tells me that he drives by my house to see what I'm driving. Now, when he told me that, I was driving a 2008 RAV4, and this is a couple years ago, and I've gone up now to a 2015 Volkswagen Passat. So I've really upgraded, and I'm sure he is going to have something to say. But in other words, he's watching me to see how I spend my money. And you live like in a fishbowl if you're a pastor. And it's easy to criticize someone else because they're living too lavishly. But what about me? I mean, why should a pastor live any differently than any other Christian? I mean, you can make some case for it as a leader, but shouldn't we all be aspiring to follow Jesus and not hold that pastor to a higher standard that we hold ourselves? So the first thing I would say is be very careful to judge other people in a harsher way than I judge myself. But I do think it's wrong for all Christians, not just pastors, to lead too lavish of a lifestyle. But we're going to be accountable to God before that. And that pastor is going to have to give an answer. I don't know their situation. So I'm just going to be slow to get involved in that. Yeah, I I think that's really good. I'll just add one little thing and then we can move on. I do think part of this is cultural. So (laughs) if you, for example, are part of a historic black Protestant church, I've had people point out, oh my gosh, these these black pastors, they drive really nice cars and are wearing really nice suits. And and they judge those pastors, usually white people judging the black pastor. And what they don't realize is that in that community— on the one hand, no one, many of the people in the church can't, can do anything like that, but they see their pastor as a representative, as a representative of them and as a representative of their community. And so they want him to look nice so that he represents their community well, so that he has a way of saying to the watching world, we're a great community that's able to do great things. And to some people, that's going to be really repellent. But on the flip side, in the white church, sometimes I get this sense that people want their pastors to be impoverished. <laughs> you know, like there's a virtue in, in having absolutely nothing. And, and I'm not saying one's right, one's wrong. I'm I'm just saying maybe you can turn and look in the mirror and realize that some of the questions you're asking might be more culturally informed than they are informed by the Bible and the kinds of things the Bible's asking us. The person who asked that question might have pastors in mind that are kind of prosperity preachers. Yes. In other words, they they might be saying, what about the people who show up on preachers and sneakers, Instagram account, that kind of thing. And that I think both Patrick and I would say that prosperity preaching has a lot wrong with it and misleads mm-hmm. a lot of people because what those pastors are saying in the prosperity arena are saying is if you believe God, if you trust God, if you follow God, then he will bless you with a nice house and nice shoes and nice car and all that stuff. And just look at me. <laughs> so so that kind of thing, if that's what the question has in mind, then I would be very much against saying that following God leads to material blessing in this life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's good. I heard this, you know, how like TikTok, I don't have TikTok, but real audio, like you can pick the audio and they can be trending audios and you create a video around it. Well, there's one that's been going around and I kept hearing it. And when I first heard it, I truly thought it was a joke, but it's a woman's voice. And it's like, I will be blessed by God in 2022. I will make over six figures in my business. I will live in the house of my dream. So it's like this person and they're showing kind of like their house and their business. And it's basically basically saying like God is going to bless me. I'm I'm speaking this into existence. This prosperity this manifestation. Prosperity. And at first I thought it was a joke and then I realized like no people actually believe that like having that mind first of all like the whole speaking something to an in existence or manifesting like actually works and then also that you can do that and God is going to like promise you that. That's so cr- like it was crazy to me at first, but I'm like people actually believe this. <laughs> to me the worst thing about that is that it treats God as a means to an end. In other words, I don't want God, I want what God can give me. But God is the best thing that he can give us. Giving us himself is the greatest treasure, not a new house, new car, six-figure business. Yeah, and Money doesn't make you happy. I mean, again, I've talked to countless people who have a lot of wealth and they say, look, if you're unhappy with $30,000 a year, you're going to be just as unhappy with $3 million a year. In fact, I think that was, uh, what's the name of the guy who runs the Mavs? 
Oh, Mark Cuban. Yeah, Mark Cuban. Oh, yeah, he, yeah. he made that. He made that comment. He's like, look, money isn't what makes you happy. And actually, there's a lot of studies that have proven this. There's actually a threshold, a certain number where when you make above it, it increases zero happiness in your life. And so I think that's the other side. It's like God's the ultimate thing, but you're also fixating on something that's not going to make you happy anyways. Money is not the key to happiness. Okay, switching gears. This is a big one. We've gotten this question probably more than any other question. Request for an episode about it. We've kind of like tiptoed around it. it. Wow. Okay, it's very layered. So I'll ask them all and then we can break it all down. So is it okay to get Botox? (laughs) What about plastic surgery? Then if we're going to talk through that kind of stuff, how about nails done, hair colored, and then tattoos? It's a lot. So the core of the question, I think, not sure. Notice, that, notice how I just remained silent. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm not sure the tattoos fit into it. So let's okay, okay. carve that out for a second because I think I just want to see if you guys agree that the issue here is what can I do to artificially make myself look more attractive? Is it okay to alter our physical appearance? And I think what this person is kind of getting at, because we've had this discussion personally, is like, okay, the Botox theme seems a little bit more extreme. The plastic surgery thing seems for sure a little bit more extreme. But then like, I mean, Christian and I love to go get our nails done. We get our hair done, all these things. So it's like, okay, where's the line in all this? Or you could even say braces. Why you get braces? Oh, true. Do you know what? Yeah. Your t- my, my parents promised to get me braces when I was a kid because I've got big gap in my teeth. But the orthodontist said, hey, he, he doesn't need them right now. Let's wait a little bit. And so they said, hey, we're just going to wait until you're X age. My sister ended up getting braces. And then when I hit the age, they saw the, the, the price tag on it and said, sorry, son. <laughs> You'll be oh, okay. Well, you could get adult oh. braces if you want. You could get braces Invisalign. now. Okay, Invisalign. But we even had this Mask. conversation. <laughs> I would insecure. almost, I would almost like take braces or take like facials out of there because I would say I think there's a part of that where it's like. There's uh, medical uh, reasons to get. Medical sure. reasons yes. to like, you want your teeth but to see, I line up. I don't so have like, those medical reasons. I, I don't, yes. I don't have an underwear. Yes. Okay, so we're talking about non-medical reasons but, to get Botox or cosmetic plastic surgery or getting your nails done. But I wanted to throw in like, maybe if, I guess we could throw in like, if you do get facials regularly or something like that, where it could be seen as like, yes, you're taking care of your skin, but you're also using it as like a, a spa treat. Like, okay, just go. You know yeah. what I'm saying? A spa treatment or like. Answer the question. I think it's going to be a frustrating answer because I think it's like so many things, it comes down to motive and heart and what you're doing and why you're doing it. So real quick, my wife and I have decided that we're just going to be natural. And so she has salt and pepper hair at this point in our life. And we had just said a long time ago, you know what? We're just not going to do the hair coloring thing. We're not judging other people. Other people do whatever they want to do. It's just not something that we wanted to go down, that road we wanted to go down. So let's just talk about the wrong motives for a second, is that I'm not content with who I am. I'm trying to build some kind of an image. I think that if I look better, I will feel better about myself. I'll get more attention from other people. And I think all of those are wrong motives. And unfortunately, I think that's probably the reason that a lot of people, not everybody, maybe not the questioner, but a lot of people do get the kind of cosmetic surgery you're thinking of. And just like money won't make you happy, there's no way that you can look that you're going to now be happy. Much of life is being content with who God made you and how God made you. And if God made you this way, then you're okay. Now, do I think there's a difference between having your nails done and Botox or plastic surgery to change the shape of your body? Yeah. To me, there seems to be an obvious difference. Is it hard to kind of lay out a specific Bible verse that shares the difference, explains the difference? Yeah, that's hard. So that's why I'm saying it's discernment. If you're going to get your nails done because you're trying to impress other people, then that could be wrong, right? So there can be reasons to get your nails done that are wrong, but I don't think most people going to get their nails done are doing it for wrong reasons. Okay. So, so let me give, let me give the nerdy answer. Oh golly, you're good at that. That's what you're known for. Yeah. We would want you to live up to your reputation. You speak yeah, you you speak to, to the different. every woman and I'll speak to the few. Okay, here we go. I think it's really important in life to live with the end in mind. You know, Keith often asks, what do you want people to say about you at your funeral? <laughs> or what will people say about you at your funeral? And I think it's a great question to ask. What do I want the end of my story to look like? And the good news is we know the end of the story for Christians. We're going to be resurrected. We will spend the rest of our lives embodied on a renewed earth with Jesus. And that resurrected body is going to have continuity with the body that we have here. And I say that because maybe, I mean, what if I told you that in your 
your resurrected body, you're going to have all of those things that you look at because of our culture and because of our culture's definition of beauty, all those things you look at that you say, oh, I don't want, I don't want that to be true of me. I don't like that hair color. I don't like the way my body or my face looks. What if those things were true <laughs> in the resurrection? What if you're going to have all those same little quirks in, in the resurrection because there is continuity with your body? And what if in the resurrection, you look at those things and you see those things and you say they're beautiful. Think of the Song of Songs and it, it's a song about a woman who's clearly working in a field. And so because she's outside in the sun, she has dark skin, which at the time would have been a sign of maybe having less money, you know, because people who didn't have to work in the field could stay inside and not get a tan. And she she says she, she's embarrassed about her darkness. And eventually it leads in the song to her saying, I'm black and beautiful. I'm dark and beautiful. And I think that there's something there that we have to hear for ourselves, which is that God made you the way that he wants you to be. And you're going to be eternally the way he wants you to be. And so just reflect on that as you're thinking through cosmetic surgery or Botox or whatever it is. Are you okay that your body is the way that God wants it to be? That is really good. Well, then circling back to tattoos, why'd you take tattoos out? I'm not sure that people get tattoos because they're trying to improve their look and their beauty and trying to, that they're discontent with their body. And so they're trying to change it. I think people get tattoos for other kinds of reasons. Yeah, like I think like about they're drunk. <laughs> like they're drunk. <laughs> it's an artistic expression for most people, or they use it as some kind of like symbolism for something there's, meaningful. Yeah, there's something I was going to say. Like I think life. about someone yeah. who gets their their children's names tattooed on their arm, or or they get a Bible verse tattooed on their like. There's something meaningful about it, and they're saying. And you know, I think about the passage in Revelation where it talks about God writing our names on His hand, and so I do think there's this way in which sometimes we mark ourselves or we set ourselves apart with markings. Now I don't have tattoos, but I think there's good reasons for people to get tattoos. There you go. Okay. Okay. There you go. That's good. Okay. So moving on to our next question. Is it okay for Christian women to work outside of the home? Yes. Next question. Okay. Okay. That should have been another um, lightning round. Yeah. Is it unbiblical to not want kids? Uh, so, <laughs> mm, so again, that's going to come down to motive. Can You're I like am- a broken record, man. Can I imagine reasons why it would be okay to not want kids? Sure, I can imagine those, but do I think that's what most people who don't want kids, that's their motive? No, I doubt it. God called us to be fruitful and multiply. God brings husbands and wives together to produce children, to populate the earth. That's a big part of our responsibility, and it's a way that we fulfill God's mandate all the way back in Genesis 1. So I think most reasons most people don't want to have kids are selfish because they don't want the hassle or they have a different idea of how they want to spend their money or their time or their career. And, you know, kids are a pain in the butt. I mean, anybody who's had them can testify to that. And yet they're the greatest blessings God gives us. They shape us, they mold us, they make us into the people that God wants us to be. So instead of trying to pursue life, like, man, I'm going to build the best career, take the best vacations or have the best body. Instead to say, no, I, I want to humble myself and learn to follow God and be about God's kingdom and God's agenda. And for married couples, for most married couples, that's going to mean having kids. Yeah, I do think that the Bible describes children as a blessing. And I say that because I think we're living in a cultural moment where not across the board, but in general, we talk about children more like a curse. You know, we talk about what children cost, what children take away, why children are hard. And there's nothing wrong, by the way, with talking about your hardships as a, as a parent. But I, I do think we have to go back to what the Bible says and realize that they're a blessing. Now, like he said, I do think there's legitimate reasons. We live in a broken world, you know, so you might not want kids because there was some sort of trauma that happened in your past that makes the idea of having children or raising children really difficult. You might even think I'm not equipped or able to do it. Or you might have some sort of mental disability or mental illness. You know, I th- I think about people, for example, who have bipolar and who say, gosh, maybe I had a parent with bipolar and I know what that did to me. And I just don't want my child to go through something like that. Now, my guess is in those cases that that's something that that they're mourning and they're doing out of selflessness, not selfishness, which is very different than Keith's motives. And so, again, I, I think you're right. It goes back to motives. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. OK, in the same children realm, this question just said views on spanking and go. And go. Like they're like, like views go. on spanking, go. Like they just really want you to give it to them. All right. So Christine and I have four kids. Did you spank all of them? They're in their 20s now. And 100% we spanked all of them. <laughs> uh, so They're now traumatized <laughs> from that. I, I, think, I, mean, you, I think Two they're pretty jail. healthy, normal people. <laughs> 
So everybody has a different idea of what they mean by spanking. And so if what you mean by spanking is in your anger, you are yelling at your kid and beating your kid, then I'm one million percent against that. If what you think of spanking is I am lovingly bringing pain into my kid's life, a small amount of pain for a short period of time to correct them, to reach their heart and to teach them the right way to go, then I think it's very healthy. Now, I don't think everybody has to do that. I don't think there's one tool in a parent's toolbox called spanking, and you always have to use that. There are many tools in a parent's toolbox. They should know their kid, they should know themselves, and they should know what's appropriate for that situation. But spanking is one tool that Christine and I use with our kids. Oh, okay. Patrick's ready to speak. Well, we're going to debate this. Let's go. (laughs) We're not, we're we're not going to debate it. I grew up in a family where spanking was not the norm. I, I was never spanked as a child because I was a perfect child, obviously. Yeah, oh you did no wrong. And so before I had kids, just because of the way I was raised, I kind of thought, oh, I, I'll, I'll never spank my children. But then I remember reading this verse from Proverbs thirteen twenty four, which is going to strike people as a little bit harsh, but here we go. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Now, I don't use rods, and, and there's actually some questions about what that means. It's probably not a literal rod the way we would think of it. But let's move past that for a second. I, I had to reflect on that passage and realize that in the development of a child, depending on that child's age, there are modes that help them become better humans, wholer humans. You know, Keith, you, your kids are all too old for you to spank them, right? Oh, 100%. They <laughs> might spank me. <laughs> So I'm, I'm still at an age where, where my kids are, are young enough that I, I think spanking is appropriate. Now, when I think about spanking, I do have some some things that go through my head. First of all, I think it's important that you never spank out of anger. I think that spanking should always be in a sense of tragedy for both parent and child. You know, So I'm always very careful, and I realize it could sound a little bit manipulative, but I really mean it to, to tell my kids, I, I don't want to spank you, but here's why I'm spanking you. Ugh, when my dad would say that, I'm like, really, sir? Really? <laughs> yeah, I then never don't. I like, then don't. <laughs> I never said I don't want to. <laughs> what please we, don't. What we would do is we had a place that we would spank. The spanking spot. <laughs> and I would say, okay, go to, go there. Like, let's say it's the bathroom, right? Go to the bathroom. I'll be there in, in a minute. And they would go to the bathroom and then I'd make sure I'm under control. I'm not angry. I'm not emotional, that kind of thing. I would put my kid over my knee, give them a couple swats, enough where it hurt, where they cried. And then I'd give them a big hug and say, I love you to death. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to throw a fit when you don't get your way. And I want you to know that I love you. God loves you, but you need to learn to follow him. And throwing a fit when you don't get your way is not going to lead the way you think it's going to. It's not going to lead you to where you think it's going to. Yeah. And, and I, I think what you said at the end is, is the other half that is so important, which is expressing love after the act, explaining why it happened and why it's important that you care. You know, I, th- I think when you're talking about just hitting children because you're angry and frustrated by their behavior and leaving them in their emotional torment, I don't I don't think that's biblical. I think that's incredibly problematic and it's probably going to damage your children in the long run. And I know I said this, but I just want to go back to it for just a second. Spanking is one tool in a parent's toolbox. Shouldn't be the tool. And there's a lot of other tools in there. But here's one thing you always have to do in disciplining your children that Patrick just said that I want to make sure carries beyond spanking. And that is explain the why. If your kid is disciplined and they don't know why, you've taught them nothing. So it's not just the what, it's the why. And one other thought here, every kid is different. So with my daughter, spanking is not often the most effective way of, of helping her because it takes her to an emotional place that's almost impossible to, to bring her down from. And so we use it fairly sparingly with her, just kind of learning her. Now, my son, on the other hand, I can talk sternly to him and he'll just smile at me and laugh. But when I spank him, he realizes this is serious. We're having a real conversation and it's amazing. His, his behavior really does change. And so, again, I, I think part of it, too, is just knowing your kids and knowing when's the right moment and what helps my child to, again, become more Christ-like. That's, that's the end goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Okay, next question. So talk to us a little bit. This could be a really long answer, but just talk to us a little bit. How do you talk with a friend who calls himself a Christian but lives completely outside of biblical commandments? So this could be premarital sex, living together prior to marriage with their significant other, drunkenness. How do you talk to that person? If you want to confront them about these things in their life as they call themselves a Christian, but they're living outside. Well, you're, you're my only friend named Christian. So I guess we could have that conversation. 
Okay, no. Uh, how do you talk to people who are in that circumstance? I like to ask a lot of questions. I want to ask them, well, why are you doing that? What's your heart behind it? Why do you believe that's okay? I mean, I, I just want them to explain it. Because what I find is that if you can ask people good questions, they'll often come to the right conclusions. It's not like they're doing those things because they really think this is God's will for my life. I think this is the right thing to do. And so, yeah, and I, I just start with questions. You know me, I love to ask people questions and it reveals their heart and helps them come to their own conclusions, which I think is great. Maybe I would push back a little bit and say, why do we need to talk about where they stand with Jesus now? Instead, maybe invite them forward to grow. So maybe you're leading a small group, or maybe you would like to get coffee with them and go through a book of the Bible with them, or maybe it's coming to church. Whatever you think might be something you could invite them to do with you. And instead of examining the past or even the present of where they are now, what if we look toward the future and help them build a genuine faith and biblical convictions about different areas of their life? Now, if they push back and say, well, I don't want that, but I know I'm a Christian— Maybe you ask this question. Maybe you you say, well, how did Jesus define a Christian? And I think a lot of times we, a lot of us, think that Jesus defined a Christian as someone who asked him to be their savior. But when you just go back and look at what Jesus said and how he talked to people, he just pretty consistently invites people to follow him, follow me, follow me. It's over and over and over in the gospels. And that's what a Christian is, is someone who is surrendering and submitting to Jesus, following Jesus, of course, trusting him to be their savior, but also trusting him with other areas of their life. And all of us have a lot to grow. So Scolding your friend is probably not going to get you very far, but instead inviting your friend to pursue Jesus with you, that's the best hope. Yeah, I like that answer because not this person asking it whatsoever. I don't know the motive of asking this question, but I think oftentimes when I've looked at those type of people in my life, I'm coming at that for more of a judgment than like you said of maybe having grace for them and being like, oh, like maybe they've never had an example of what it would look like to actually kind of rid your life of some of those habits and follow Christ for something, you know, bigger, like a like bigger purpose in that. And so I like that idea of just saying, hey, like, let's grow together. Would you be interested in growing? Because I do think some people in our culture want to call themselves a Christian, but don't live that way. And I agree. Sometimes it's not our job maybe to be the one to change that if that's the way they're choosing to live. Well, and I like that answer too, because I think it honestly humbles us to our rightful place of where we are too. We are not you know, I think sometimes when you're asking those questions or wanting, again, not believing that that's the motive of this person who asked the question. But I think when we ask that of people, it's like we want to be the savior for our friend. We want to have we want to be able to scold them. We want to be able to, like, turn them from their sin and turn them in the right direction. And that's really not the goal we play. I mean, like our role is to come alongside them and show them Jesus and our love for them and how we ask them to come alongside us and live yeah, in community with us, if that's through a study or whatever that may be, like you were mentioning. Oftentimes, when we ask the question, how should I talk to a person about X, whatever it is, a good place to start is how would you want someone to talk to you about things in your life? And the last thing anybody wants is for someone to look down on them to be come across as condescending. We want somebody to come alongside of us. And if we'll just kind of practice the golden rule and do for others what we would want them to do for us, it kind of works better. So coming alongside, being a friend, encouraging, pointing them toward Jesus, giving them opportunities to take steps of growth seem a lot more effective than scolding them for what they're not presently doing. Okay. I like the way that this one was written. Okay. How drunk is too drunk? LOL. But really, how many drinks are okay for a Christian to drink? Is it okay for a Christian to drink in public? What about Christians who do not believe drinking is okay or drinking around friends who have struggled with their relationship with alcohol? It's a loaded question. Well, it's a lot of questions. Yeah, it's a lot of questions. (laughs) Pick Uh, one. Dissect that how you wish. I'll go with the first one. You know, how many drinks is too many or enough or whatever? And I'll start by saying that that's a nearly impossible question to answer on a practical level. And it might be good for you personally to establish a number like that, but why it's impossible is multiple things. One, to state the obvious, different kinds of drinks have different kinds of potency, right? If you had, let's say, two beers, that would have a very different effect on you than if you had two tall pours of tequila, right? <laughs> you know, So I only had two drinks, so I followed my rule. Like, And that's how rules often work, is we figure out our ways of wiggling around and, and out of them. And 
of course, the other half is every person is different. I can drink more than my wife can drink. I can. I'm, I'm bigger and men tend to have higher ability to handle alcohol, generally speaking. And so for all those reasons, the limit that I might want to set for myself might be the different than the, the limit for her. Sometimes when I'm with my friends, I just remind, okay, we're Christians, right? We're Christians. We need to act like Christians. And you know when you're drinking too much because all of a sudden you're gossiping a little bit more or you find your language is a little bit coarser or you find yourselves doing things that you would not do when you are completely sober. And so I think those are good indications. Obviously, if you're passing out drunk or if you're waking up with a huge hangover, you know you've crossed the line. But I assume the question is, how do I know where that line is? Well, look at your behavior and look at your behavior. And I think that can be a pretty good guide. When you go out, why am I going out? Why am I having that extra drink? Am I trying to escape a problem? Am I trying to numb some kind of pain? Yeah. And so I think we've already answered the question, do we think it's okay to drink alcohol? Because we're... (laughs) talking about drinking alcohol. You also asked questions around, you know, drinking with people who've struggled with abusing alcohol. Look, if I'm out with someone who has an issue with alcohol, personally, I'm probably going to choose not to drink around them because that's exactly what I'd want them to do for me. I just that that to me seems pretty straightforward. Now, the whole not drinking in public thing seems to miss the point because of course it's possible that anywhere I go in public there's going to be someone out there who struggles with alcohol. I I don't know that and I have no way of knowing that. And on some level, like I I am my brother's keeper, but on another level, the Bible actually has a really, really positive view of alcohol. And so because alcohol is a good thing, I don't think I need to try to hide it in public. Now, when I say it's a good thing, let me just be clear. What was Jesus's first miracle? He turned water into wine. And in fact, it was really good wine because when people drank, they're like, whoa, you guys saved the best wine for last. It was not grape juice. It was wine. And, and, and wine is a picture in the Bible of the celebration that we'll ultimately have with Jesus in heaven. There will be wine served at the table. Now, you don't have to drink it, I'm sure, in the resurrection, but you might want to because it's going to be really, really good stuff. And I press beyond that. There's there's passages that talk about wine making the, the heart of man glad. And what does that mean? Well, obviously, wine and alcohol have some sort of effect on our mind. And there's something that's good about it, right? Now, we all know it can go too far, but there's something good and noble. God made wine for a purpose. God made alcohol for a purpose. And so because it's a good thing, I'm just, I'm not going to get touchy and antsy about enjoying good things in public. I mean, is there anything else that's good that we, you know, don't enjoy in public? I mean, generally speaking, we're not embarrassed. Uh, Samantha just gave me a weird look. Yes, there are some good things that we do not (laughs) enjoy in public. I mean, you kind of, yeah, you laid it out there. Yeah. but in general, those aren't things that we feel the need to hide. And, and I don't feel the need to hide it either. Imagine if we said, well, we know that people struggle with greed. Therefore, we're never going to buy a new house or have a new car or a new outfit or anything. Well, of course, there are people who struggle with greed all around us. So why do we treat alcohol differently? And Christians have a weird relationship with alcohol. So yes, it is good. God created it. It can be used for blessing. And it can also, just like anything else, be used to do a lot of damage in our lives. So be careful with it. Just like you should be careful with your money or your career, anything in life. Yeah, that's a good recap. So next question, is sleeping in the same bed as your significant other sinful if you aren't having sex? It is beyond stupid. I think we talked about this. Good. You want to go back and listen to our episode about living. What was the title of that episode? It we is did beyond stupid. First of all, I don't even believe. I don't even believe it. You're attracted to this person who's a significant other. You're dating this person. Maybe you're engaged. I don't know. You're sleeping in the same bed and you're, you know, not one time in a snowstorm at a hotel, something weird with only one room, but that's a consistent habit. And you're telling me that that's all that's happening. I mean, I'm just not that dumb. I might be really dumb. I'm not that dumb. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Patrick, do you have anything to add? You already shared your thoughts on this. Didn't we touch this in the episode? Yeah, on living together Mm -hmm. before. I would just give Keith a hearty amen. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to rebuke me. <laughs> I think that if you're asking that, sometimes these questions, like if you're asking it, we probably know the answer to it, but it's like fun to ask a pastor and just hear you guys talk about it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I will say this, and this is not a critique of the question, but it, it is often how it's asked. When we start asking, you know, is fill in the blank sinful? It's 95% of the time, not because we're just really sincerely trying to, you know, figure out, is this the right thing for me to do? I'm, I have an issue of discernment. It's mostly, I know I'm doing something that I probably shouldn't be doing, but I'm looking for someone to give me, you know, a justification for my actions. And if that's the heart behind the question, again, there's 
maybe this question wasn't asked in that way. It's probably asked for a friend or someone else. But if that's the heart behind it, like how far can I go? Your heart's already kind of in the wrong place. Yeah. Okay. This one was interesting. I've never really thought about this. Does no sex before marriage apply if you've already been married? I don't understand the question. So you're saying if someone is married, they're divorced or their spouse died and now they're having another relationship, do they still have to abide by the no sex policy is what they're asking, right? Or can they have sex with their boyfriend or girlfriend because they've already been married, they've already had sex once. So let's make it simple. Sex is a gift inside the covenant of marriage to be shared between a husband and wife. Outside of that, it is damaging and causes a lot of problems in people's lives. So yes, everybody, (laughs) the only place that sex is appropriate is inside the covenant of marriage. That's it. Yeah. End of sentence. Well, you, you you actually answered the question. The Bible nowhere says no sex before marriage. The Bible says no sex outside, outside. of marriage. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay. So is it okay to use crystals or be into horoscopes? Or even like maybe just some new age type yes, culture. Spiritual I, type things like that. Like I went to a place this last year where the lady was like telling me my, reading my aura without me asking. And I'm like, okay. Is that okay? No. No, that's not okay because it's looking to things outside of God, outside of his word, outside of Jesus, outside of God's will for direction in life. For spiritual direction in life. I mean, there's nothing wrong with reading a book to get direction in your life. Yeah, right. But you're you're, you're trying to read spiritual dimensions. And the Bible says a tremendous amount about this. If we were a little more familiar with our Old Testament, I mean, there are countless laws against necromancy and, and spirit worship and all of these spiritual beings and things that happen. And the thing that I would really say is you're playing with something that you do not understand that is incredibly dangerous. There are dark spiritual forces. So when that lady's reading your aura, personally, I I don't know that I would say, oh, you're a crazy person seeing things. She may very well be seeing something, but it has nothing to do with you, Samantha. It has everything to do with some sort of darkness that she's tapped into. Those powers are real. Messing around with them will mess with you. It will change you. I would stay as far away from that as you absolutely possibly can. In Acts 19, isn't that where the Ephesians burn their magic books? Uh-huh. When they turn to faith in Christ, they burn all their magic books. And I would suggest that if you have other things like crystals or other things that you are using, people you're going to to see who give you spiritual direction in your life, I would do the equivalent of burning them. Maybe it's literally burning them, or maybe it's just cutting off those relationships, throwing things out in the trash. Yeah, you aren't being connected to God. You're being connected to something dark. In the same realm, this person asks, is it okay to do yoga? I love it as a form of exercise, but I've heard some Christians regard it as wrong. Oh, the great yoga debate. You haven't talked about this on going there? No, but this could go into a, a bigger episode. So give us a little taste of it. (laughs) <laughs> so I've I've been on both sides of this issue. In my earlier, more fundamentalist days, I was very much so against yoga as a practice. And I think that it's not totally irrational. Yoga is rooted in some spiritual practices that, again, everything I just said, let's just leave that here. But these days, yoga has really, I think, taken on more of a form of exercise. And it's just it's something different than it was. Now, I will say this. Most yoga instructors that I've seen, whether it's an online yoga instructor or in person, are often giving the people who are there some form of of spiritual or emotional wisdom or direction. And so I do think you need to be cautious on that front. Not not that you're doing the yoga, but that you you have a, a little bit of a you're able to be wry in the moment and realize, okay, this is a little bit silly. What they're talking about is a little bit nonsense. I'm not going to buy into this stuff. One thing I've heard of from people who do like yoga, and I think this is actually a really beautiful practice that goes back to the ancient church, you know, as part of yoga is breathing, is using that in the moment to think about God's spirit. The the Hebrew and Greek word for spirit is wind, breath, right? And so, you know, I, I know people who, when they're taking their deep breaths in, they're, they're praying in their head, you know, God, may your spirit fill me. And then as they exhale, God, may your spirit show forth through me. And so I do think, and that's actually an ancient breathing practice that comes from the early church. So I think there's ways that we can claim the goodness of yoga and try to toss out what's bad. Yeah, I agree. I'd be cautious because you could end up with good intentions going to a yoga class, joining a a, a group that takes you down a bad spiritual direction. But yoga in itself, I think can just be exercise and flexibility and Christian meditation. So be careful. It does come from a worldview that's not Christian, but I think you could probably use it as long as you're cautious, aware. Yeah, and it's the exact same risk that you take if you're, you know, taking a biking class where the person's instructing you or a personal trainer who's giving you messages. Like, I mean, it's true anywhere a lot in the exercise world because it kind of crosses over into the self-help dimension. 
Yeah, that's true. So should we care about food slash drinks and how it affects our bodies? Hint, hint, energy drinks, sugar, all of that. Was <laughs> As the question. we're staring at both of your energy drinks. <laughs> so I'm drinking a monster right now. Patrick is drinking sugar a free Red, Red Bull. Bull. Yeah, yeah my, sugar, sugar-free Red Bull. Mine's sugar-free too. Yes. So should we care about how it affects our bodies? Well, yes. I, I think the obvious answer to it is yes. Uh, is it? Is that obvious? Should you care about your body? Well, no. Should you care about what you eat and how it affects your body? Well, yeah. I mean, the Bible has a tremendous amount to say about, I mean, gluttony is consistently, it's consistently included in Paul's list of things. Okay, but that's not like eating peeps. I mean, you could have, be gluttonous on kale. I would love it's to true. see that. Or you could over obsess about we we just did an episode about this. Yes. Over obsess about healthy, healthy food practices in your day too. Maybe it all goes back to the mindset around it. But I, I guess know. I took the question to say is junk food particularly bad? If you eat junk food, is that sinful in a way that eating too much kale or eating too much good stuff for you that well, I don't th- like. I mean, hold on. You, you have to think that God cares about our bodies. He cares about our health. As you talked about with money, it's not just, that's not the only material thing we're to steward. It's this thing that is me that I'm supposed to steward. Well, First Corinthians 1031 says what, I think it's 1031. I just lost my confidence. 1030 <laughs> is whatever you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. So yeah. yes, I, I do agree. Yeah, yeah. Do, do it to the glory of God. And, and if I'm doing something that doesn't glorify God by abusing food or, and again, this is the pot calling the kettle black. So I feel it's stupid saying this because I'm, I am not the king of healthy eating. I am drinking an energy drink right now. I do think we should reflect on those things. I think they matter. I think it's like you guys said, possible to take it too far and, and care too much, but I think it should be considered. So, yeah, I think it oftentimes goes down to motives though, right? And w- w- what is the mo- what's the wrong motive of eating too many peeps? What's the wrong motive of eating too many ice cream sandwiches? You know why I'm laughing right now? Because I was about to use an example and say, Keith, would you confront me if you realized that I was eating Butterfingers all the time? Like that was my dinner. That no. was my breakfast. That was... And then I laugh because I realized that's, that's you with Skittles. That's my whole life is built on candy eating that kind Keith, of this food. entire episode was was actually a fake we're here to confront you about your skittle <laughs> addiction is your i have a we lot of no addictions longer be allowing you to eat skittles <laughs> okay okay, okay, that's, the okay answer. that's good well, let's jump into a lightning round and then we have one more question to wrap it up but these are just supposed to be short answers if you really feel the need to Who's go going off on first? something maybe okay patrick you go first And then we can go back and forth. This is just a very personal kind of fun question. Who do you personally admire in culture or in the Christian world? I would say that Tim Keller in, in the Christian world is probably someone that I admire more than anyone else. He's done tremendous good work locally in New York City, but also for the church in general. Patrick can't do a lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. Tim Keller was your answer. Oh, you just want me to say Tim Keller? Yeah. Oh, Tim Keller. Okay. Keith? I admire and respect a lot of people, but here's one that is maybe not on everybody's radar, and that's a woman named Barry Weiss. I knew you were going to say Barry Weiss. I was like, he's going to say Barry Weiss. She left the New York Times and started her own business, and you can look into her more if you want. This is a lightning round, but I respect cool. what she's about. There you go. Okay, okay yes or no. <laughs> Do pets go to heaven? There will be animals in heaven. Okay. Agreed. Okay. okay. Wasn't a yes or no. Uh, okay. Is having a best friend okay or even biblical? Like calling someone your best friend? I feel like maybe you guys aren't in, as into this, but like in the Christian culture, it's kind of this thing like you're not supposed to say you have a best friend. Is that? That's like favoritism. That's a world I don't live in. Yes, it's okay to have best friends. Best friends might change depending on what season of life you are in and where you live and all. But yeah, I think it's okay to have close friends. And yeah, maybe I'm, some closer than others. I'm great with best friends. As long as it's descriptive of the truth, not, you know, No, if you're it. gossiping together about other people, if you're exclusive and not letting other people in, if it becomes like C.S. Lewis called an inner ring that you are building your kind of identity that this person's my friend and therefore I'm cool. Well, that's bad, but that's not a problem with having a best friend. That's how you've changed it, manipulated it. That's good. Okay. Can I go to a casino and gamble occasionally if it's not an issue? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you think Christian families can celebrate Halloween? What about Santa, Easter running, et cetera? We have a whole episode on this. We Everyone knows what we think about this. What are your thoughts? That's an issue of personal conscience. You should not break your conscience. That's a cop out. I'd say Halloween, yes. I mean, I agree with Patrick, but Halloween, yes. One thing that Christine and I said we would never do with our kids is tell them things that weren't true. 
Yep. So we celebrated Christmas and we had Santa Claus some. It wasn't a big part of it, but some. But we never told them that there was this relief person called Santa. We always just said it was fun. Yep. So I never lie to your kids. That's my... I agree. We tell Iris that Santa's a game. Never lie to your kids. I disagree, but okay. Really? You lie to your kids? You're pro-lying to your kids? Um, oh. we, wow. You could go listen she to our episode, to but I think it's more this... Yeah, we could get into it, but it's like going to Disney World when they're little. It's like this make believe world that like they'll eventually they'll know. It's I wasn't I wasn't like this imaginary. My experience with Santa growing up and my husband's was this like really fun thing, and we never felt burned when we found out or like betrayed by our parents. So we just had a really positive. And again, that's why I said you need to follow your conscience. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just agreeing that that's what I do with my kids. Okay, and we still have lots of fun because it's a game. Great, kids are good at make believe. Great. Mm -hmm. Okay, can I be a Christian and date online? Yes. Yes, but everybody, whether a Christian or not, dating in person or online should take their Christian convictions into that and not compromise their convictions and realize that dating online is affecting you, even if you don't think it is, it's affecting you in probably unhealthy ways. But yes, you can do it, but be aware. I wouldn't say probably in some unhealthy ways. I've known lots of people who have dated online. They found their spouse. They're in an amazing relationship that's going really well. But that's not evidence that dating online doesn't affect you in negative no, no, ways. No, no, no. I, I, was just, I was just moderating what you said and saying it can have an effect. The thing that I think it can have an effect on is that it gives you the idea that the one perfect person is out there and there's a million options. And so I don't need to settle on anything. And I hate to break it to you. Everybody has to settle because nobody is perfect. Okay, lightning round. That's great. We're not going to We're going to do an episode about that. I feel like that'd be a good one. Yeah. It would be, yeah. Is it okay for Christians to cuss? I wouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. Says that in the Bible. Okay, here's a fun fact. Ooh, Keith is struggling. Keith, Keith does. I've, I've never heard Keith cuss. We, wow. we spent a lot of time. In fact, I think you told me that your kids said that they've never heard you cuss. Oh my goodness. My kids have for sure heard me cuss before. I, I try not to cuss. Always go to motive. I really hate cussing, cursing. Yeah, I hate it too. I don't like it. I, I I think it's a really stupid way of speaking. Like when you drop F-bombs around me, I'm just going to tell you, so don't do it. My first thought is you are an unintelligent human being who can't formulate a thoughtful sentence. So you're dropping in these insane words because you think it makes you sound cool or smart and the exact opposite is happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm like, get more creative. Yeah. I don't know what that means it's wrong. I'm just saying you sound dumb. Keith, you feel like you have something to say? No? Okay. Lightning around. Yeah, okay. I love that this is, is a lightning Is it morally right to commit tiny sins? So, aka speeding, traffic laws, sharing streaming services that like you didn't pay for, using the vacuums at a car wash without pay. I added that last one yeah, in because the other day, someone, I, I'm not going to say who, to you. told me they were doing that. And I said, that is stealing. Wait, hold on. You have to pay for the vacuum at the car wash? <laughs> I had no idea. No, it's supposed to be complimentary when you have paid for a wash. Oh, you drive into the car wash's vacuum section? That I, did it, I did it a few times and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally stealing. Like, yeah. what am I doing? And now I've been paying for a yep. membership at this car wash place for like a long time. But the vacuums That's are amazing. like, the vacuums are set aside. So I know other like people two different do entrances. Yes. So I was just like not thinking. Okay. And then I yeah, they're just to you they're and I was just, like, oh my gosh. They're okay, just so powering I'm gonna say something. their... Okay. I'll, here, here's, uh, you gave so many examples that it's going to make lightning really hard, but I'll just talk about speeding and I think it applies across things. There is the law and there's the spirit of the law. Okay. So in some countries, if you go one mile over the speed limit, you will get pulled over because in that country, the spirit of the law is this is the actual limit. In the United States, our speed limits are set up so that they are five to 10 miles below what the actual limit is. If so you go this- to the def- dictionary and look up the word justification, you're going to find Patrick. Oh, oh, you never speed. Oh, no. I'm just willing to say it's wrong. Oh, no, I of don't think it's speed. wrong. I'm just willing to say it's wrong. You're at least let me finish it. it. At least, at least let me finish it. So, 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 when it comes to legal matters, especially in a highly litigious society like the United States, you have to ask what's the purpose of the law and what's the letter of the law. And that, not, by the way, that not only applies to laws in America, it even applies to laws in God's word. There are ways to say this is the letter that defeat or break the spirit. And Jesus, by the way, talks about this when he talks about the Pharisees and people giving money that they should have given to their parents. He talks about this exact point. So. Okay, look, here's what I think the question is asking. Are little sins a big deal? And I think they are. They're a bigger deal than you and I think they are. It doesn't mean I don't commit my fair share plus more. And I honestly wish I didn't in some ways because I think holiness is serious and I want to grow in holiness. So I find in my own heart that I'm a little bit cavalier about some of those kinds of sins, and I'm not sure that I should be. I think some sins are respectable sins or not that big a deal, but 
I wonder if God sees it the way I do it. On the other hand, you might be asking this question because you beat yourself up over all this. You know, there's forgiveness in Jesus, there's grace. And if I get to heaven and like speeding a few miles over speed limit is one of the sins that God wants to talk to me about, I'll be like, oh, thank goodness. My guess is I have a lot bigger sins that he's going to be addressing for a long time before we get to that one. So I'm trying to balance the two, right? Like they are serious, but I wouldn't beat yourself up over them. Yeah. Can I ask you two a question? Do you two steal streaming services? No, I don't. I don't. Good for you. We pay for like all of them on our own. But I admitted that I I was going to to a vacuum car wash and not paying. And now I then was convicted and I was like, oh, shoot, I got to buy the membership. So I've been paying now. That's part of my oneness on the Enneagram. I'm like, Christian, that is literally breaking the rules. Yeah, she literally freaked out. I just have a dirty car. Okay. Well, we have one more question. Okay, yes. So one more question just to like wrap up our conversation. You guys are obviously in leadership on church, staff team, and you serve a large body of people with a wide range of thoughts and opinions and beliefs. When asked a question you don't know, how do you respond? And how do you guys kind of deal with the feeling of not knowing and having all the answers? So in your spot of leadership and just as Christians, like you don't have all the answers. I don't know if we can do this. Can we answer the question on three? If someone asks you a question you don't know, what do you say? One, two, three. I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> that's there it. you go. That's the end. I feel like that's the end of our episode. I definitely feel like we could do a part two, but thank you guys for being honest and open about your answers. If anyone has questions about any of these things or wants clarification, don't hesitate to reach out. We'll link all of your, you guys are like Twitter people. So we'll link your Twitter and Instagram or if people want to come talk to you in person. We I, don't have Instagrams. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're not okay, cool okay, okay. Well, yeah. So we'll yes, we will make sure you guys can get in contact with them. But we really do appreciate you guys coming on and being open to, yeah, just answering all the questions you had no clue that were coming to you. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. I enjoy listening to your show. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Hey, thanks for going there with us. If you loved what you heard, don't forget to follow along with us at Going There, the podcast. And it also means so much to us if you subscribe to our podcast and shared it with a friend. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.